I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 10. I've got a real simple message tonight. I don't know exactly where we're going to go, just uh, really one thought that I'm dealing with, and we'll just see where the Holy Ghost takes us. But we'll use uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 38 as a beginning point for this evening. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, I want you to notice that uh, the word oppressed here, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, the word oppressed means to exercise dominion against. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing. Who did he heal? Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, all those that the devil was exercising dominion against. Now, it's it's an interesting thing that... Um, uh, the modern-day church has changed roles for both God and the devil. For example, if we are to take this verse at face value and we can prove it, and we will, we'll look at some different scriptures to um, uh, to further solidify the point. But if we are to take this scripture at face value, if this scripture is really inspired by the Holy Ghost, and God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost in power for the purpose of doing good and healing, so healing must be good. The fact that he puts those together, I'm sure the Holy Ghost recognized down through the ages that the modern-day church, our modern-day church, would argue about whether or not healing is good. A lot of people have the idea that God makes people sick, and because God, everything God does is good, then God, then sickness must be good in some people's case for the purpose of learning something or being taught or whatever their, whatever their excuses are. I don't really pay that much attention to it to know, but you know that you've heard things like that along the way. But the Bible says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power for the purpose of doing good and healing. Now, who did Jesus heal? He healed all those that were oppressed of the devil. Now, that means that every person we have record of, and we don't have record of everybody that Jesus healed. John said that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, then that has to mean that there are cases or incidences of healing where events or circumstances, situations where people were healed that we don't have record of. The Holy Ghost just gave us a sampling, and that sampling, I believe, is complete to show us the fullness of Jesus' healing ministry. But there would be people that would be healed in in similar ways, and maybe the Holy Ghost didn't refer to every situation uh, and and duplicate every uh, every circumstance of healing. But we have a representative of uh, of Jesus' healing ministry, and if this scripture is true, if the Holy Ghost inspired the writer Luke to write this, then that means that everybody Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. Everybody Jesus healed was sick because of the devil's work in their lives. Now turn back with me to uh, Luke chapter 13. Let's look at a couple and and, uh, see if this is true. Luke chapter 13, we'll start there. Here's the story of the woman in the, uh, uh, the synagogue. Let's start reading in verse, uh, verse 10. Luke chapter 13 beginning in verse 10. It said, and as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. Now, it's interesting that it would say that, especially in light of what we just read in Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The word oppressed, again, means to exercise dominion against. In other words, it's saying everybody that was sick was sick because Satan was exercising dominion against them. Here it says this woman had a spirit of infirmity. A spirit of infirmity. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do spirits of infirmity come from? Now, not every time the Bible uses the word infirmity does it mean sickness, but in this case, this word does. 
It literally says that she had a spirit of sickness. In other words, there seems to be some spiritual force enforcing the disease or condition, the sickness, whatever it is that she has. She's kind of got an unusual situation because it says she was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. So if I'm understanding this scripture correctly, she was bent over at the waist looking at the tops of her shoes and couldn't stand up straight. Now, we don't know to what degree, whether it was extreme or whether it was just, you know, she was bowed over like a uh, like somebody might have a hump back or something like that. And she wasn't able to lift up her head. We don't know the extent of it, but we know that it was something that she was um, uh, hindered from living a normal life. And the Bible tells us, again, if this scripture is inspired by the Holy Ghost, the Bible is telling us that there was a spirit behind this. Well, where would that spirit come from? If somebody was in church today and for whatever reason they couldn't get, couldn't find help or couldn't find relief from their situation, you know as well as I do that a lot of the church would say that God was doing that for some reason, some unknown purpose. Unknown, unseen purpose. Well, is that where spirits of infirmity come from? The modern day church seems to think so. At least that's what they accuse God of. They accuse God behind, of being behind sickness and disease in the church. They accuse him of being unwilling to heal the sick, at least unwilling to heal everybody. Of course, nobody, you can't find any Christian that will say, well, certainly God can do it. But he just, it's just not his will to heal everybody. But in this case, it said this woman had a, had a spirit of infirmity. 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. The word loosed is the word redemption used in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, which says we're redeemed. Redemption is ours through the, through the blood of Jesus. That's the same word. Woman, thou art redeemed. Here's a picture of what redemption was about. That's not the entirety of it, but it includes it. He said, woman, thou art redeemed, literally, from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Well, I guess so. If I'd been in that case 18 years, I'd be happy too, wouldn't you? Wouldn't be any theological discussions on my part. I'd just be jumping up and down, thrilled as can be. I'm sure she was. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Now, folks, I want to point something out. There's a lot of things that we could rip this guy apart with. But I want to point something out. Even he knew that healing was a good thing. He said there are six days in which men ought to work. In other words, he's saying this was a good work that was that was done. It was just done on the wrong day. He's not saying that healing was wrong. He's not saying that this woman's blessing shouldn't have occurred. He's just saying it shouldn't have happened on Saturday, the Sabbath. Do you see that? Well, what's God's attitude toward that? The Lord then answered him and said, verse 15, thou hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, here's the reason she ought to be healed, ought not this woman, number one, being a daughter of Abraham, and number two, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, shouldn't she be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? Again, the word loose is the word redemption again. 
Notice Jesus gave two reasons why she ought to be free. Number one, she was a daughter of Abraham, which means the blessing of Abraham includes healing and freedom. Right? Is there any other way to, to, to any way to, to interpret that? Different way to interpret that than what Jesus said? I'll remind you of Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law that or so that, well, let me quote the rest of the verse. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So the redemption that he's talking about that belongs to us was not the same redemption that she enjoyed. She enjoyed the redemption because Jesus was here to do the work of God, the will of God, while he was here on the earth. Our redemption is because of the blood of Jesus that was spilled on the cross. Now, the only redemption that was available was while Jesus was here on the earth, and those that lived after Jesus left would be out of luck. And that's exactly what some of the church world says, if only we could have been here when Jesus walked on the earth. Well, why? What's different now than then? Redemption is the same, only the means of redemption has changed. Her means of redemption was because Jesus was here on the earth to do the will of the Father. Our redemption is an eternal redemption because it's ratified by the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, I don't think I finished quoting Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Jesus said the blessing of Abraham included healing. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Ought not this woman, Jesus said, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, should she not be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying is saying that she was bound over. She was bound by this thing. Whatever this spirit of infirmity was, wasn't from God. It was from the devil. And he's held her in bondage for 18 years. That's long enough, don't you think? Uh, you know what I like about this? What I love about this is the woman didn't even come to Jesus for healing. Jesus just saw her in the synagogue and called her to him. There's the mercy of God in action. Here's somebody that healing belongs to. Jesus got it to her. So we see that Acts 10.38 was certainly true in her case. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. This woman was oppressed of the devil. How is it that people say that sickness is now from God? The Bible says that sickness was always from the devil in Jesus' ministry. Now turn with me over to John chapter 9. Let's look at another one. Here's one that's a little bit difficult because of the translation. Let's start reading in verse 1. It said, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, there's a lot of things the disciples got wrong, but here's one thing that they got right. They understood that the cause of sickness was sin. The cause of sickness was sin. That takes us back to the beginning. It takes us back to creation. 
We know that when God recreated the earth, literally recreated the earth in six days, at the end of the six days, he rested on the seventh day, made an end of everything that he was going to make. That means if he made sickness, he had to make it in the first six days. But at the end of those six days, he rested and he looked around and he said that it was very good. And folks, there was no sickness to be found. There was no sickness to be found. God created the earth, even when he recreated the earth, even when Satan was still here. We know he was still here because his commission to Adam and Eve was dress and keep the garden. That literally means garden protected. Well, if there's no enemy, if there's no adversary, there's nothing to protect it from. Satan was here. Satan didn't have to show up. The serpent didn't come down from outer space and show up after God left so that he was present to tempt Eve. He was already here. Folks, I want you to understand something. You can enjoy the perfect will of God in the presence of the devil. That's what Psalm 23 is about. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Most of us think the Garden of Eden, perfection to enjoy the, the fullness of God's blessings, would be in a, some situation where the devil is never around. That's not what God's planned for you. God has planned for you to enjoy the fullness of everything that Jesus purchased for you and me on the cross right in the devil's territory. That brings us to another thought. If God created the earth, recreated, literally recreated the earth in six days, and at the end of it there was no sickness, there was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind, and as long as they kept God's one commandment to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was nothing that would have ever hurt mankind, please notice that it's God's will for there to be no sickness on the earth for his man. That was God's plan. Furthermore, Jesus told the disciples when they asked him how to pray, he said, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, folks, if it's God's will to make people sick here, then heaven's got to be full of sickness. Because God doesn't change. God's will doesn't change. God's will is not going to be any different when you and I get to heaven and this earth is over than it is right now. God doesn't change. So if it's God's will for somebody to be sick now, then heaven has to be a place filled with sickness. But if heaven is a place filled with sickness, why did he make the earth free from sickness? Because the earth was just a type of heaven before man fell. That's all it was. We see in certain things that the Bible tells us about heaven. It sounds a lot like the earth, except for the things that can't be described. And there are some creatures around the throne that sound kind of weird. Outside of that, it sounds like that earth is a copy of heaven, which is what it was intended to be. It was a copy of heaven in in the fact that there was no sickness or disease created And sickness and disease did not show up until after Adam and Eve fell and sinned in the Garden of Eden. That's why the disciples knew what they were talking about in John chapter 9, verse 1. They saw a man blind from his birth, and so they said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, here's what they got right, and here's what they got wrong. They were right that sin is the cause of sickness. There is no sickness where there is no presence of sin. What they got wrong was they thought that it was somebody's personal sin that made this thing happen. Their question is, okay, if sin is the issue, if sin is the cause, then there must be sin on the part of the individual. But how could that be? Because he was born blind. Could he have sinned before he left his mother's womb? That doesn't make sense. So maybe it was his parents' sin 
Maybe this sickness, this blindness upon the son is a result of the parents' disobedience to God and failure to keep his commandments. Jesus answered and says, he answers their question, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Now, folks, I would remind you that in the original uh, Greek translation, same thing is true of Hebrew, there is no punctuation. It was not written in chapter and verse. Translators divided it and the translators punctuated it for our sake and for reference sake. And the translators punctuated it according to their understanding of what's being said. But now, even though the text is inspired of the Holy Ghost, the translation is not necessarily so. For example, let me show you some things. Hold your finger here. We'll come back to John chapter 9. But let me prove this to you. Turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45, let's look at verse 7. I'm reading from the King James, and it says God is speaking first person. Well, maybe we ought to back up in uh, verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. So we know that the I here is referring to God speaking in the first person, right? Notice verse 7. Here's what God says, according to the translators. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, folks, if God creates evil, then how is he just in telling us to resist evil? See, the translation is not always accurate. If you look this word create up, and I don't know how to say it in the Hebrew, but if you look this word create up, there are two meanings for this word create. One means to make, like the creation of the earth. God made the heavens and the earth. But another meaning of this word create is to cut down like a tree, like you take an axe to a tree. Now, which one would apply here? It's left to the translators to figure out which of those meanings apply. Now, it sounds like to me that those are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. To create or to make is kind of on the opposite end from cutting something down like a tree. One is causing something to be. The other is doing away with something. Which one is it? And a lot of the Hebrew language is that way. A lot of the Hebrew language can mean something, one thing or another thing, and the two things are kind of polar opposites. It's not always the case, but it's sometimes the case. Which one is it? Well, notice what he's saying. God is saying, I am the Lord. There is none else. Verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. What did God do when he created the light? When he first made the light, how did he do that? The Bible says in the beginning, in the first six days of creation, really the first day, it says he looked into the darkness and said, let there be light. Literally, from the original, uh, original Hebrew, he said, light be. And what happened to the darkness? It was dispelled. He said, I create, I form the light and create darkness. Does that mean he made the darkness or does that mean he ran darkness away? The light chased away the darkness. So this word create here means he cut it down like you would cut down a tree. How did he do that? By speaking the words light be. Second part of the verse. He said, I make peace and create evil. What happens when peace comes in the midst of chaos? 
chaos ceases. So where it says, I make peace and create evil, what he's saying is, I cut down evil by making peace. And folks, I would submit to you that that's a lot of what Jesus did when he made peace between us and God. He did away with the sin and the dominion of spiritual death over mankind. I, the Lord, do all these things. Well, which one does it mean? It means he cut down darkness by forming the light. It means he cuts down evil by making peace. Turn with me over to Amos chapter 3. I know your Bible just automatically falls open to Amos. Let's start reading in verse 5. It says, Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Verse 6, Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? But it tells you where all the evil taking place in our cities comes from. All the murders taking place in Chicago. God's behind all that. Anybody really think that? I know the church uses that for an argument, but I, I'm not sure if, the, if, if people that even say that are sincere in, in their beliefs. Does anybody think that God's doing the evil in the cities? If so, why would he expect us to resist the evil that's taking place in the cities? Or anywhere else for that matter. No, that's not what it's talking about. It says, another translation says it this way, shall there be, shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord not do somewhat about it? Which one's correct? Well, the second one sure applies to the character and the nature of God as we know it, doesn't it? God's saying when there's a problem, I'll step in and help. He's not the author of it. He's not the creator of it. Let's look at another one. Look with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I particularly like this one. I think it brings out the point in a very fine way. Story of Saul. On the day that uh, that Samuel the prophet anointed David to be the next king, you remember he had to do that in secret because Saul was still king. Verse 13, it says, Then Samuel took the, oil, the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Ramah's a good place to go when you're anointed. Verse 14, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Well, I've always wondered where evil spirits came from. An evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Anybody really think that an evil spirit came from God? If so, where did he get him? There's no evil spirits in heaven. Do you have to contact the devil? I don't know if they text or not, but do you have to contact the devil and say, hey, I need to borrow somebody? Where would he get an evil spirit? God is good and he's only good. So he can't be the author of evil. He's not the creator of evil. The Bible says that even Satan was perfect. Lucifer was perfect in all of the ways that he was created until iniquity was found in him. And the Bible tells us that Satan is the one that created that spark of iniquity by spiritual pride, by saying, I will exalt my throne above the heavens. I will be like God. He originated that, not God. He was perfect. Lucifer was perfect in the manner in which he was created. 
And he's the one that messed that up. So where would an evil spirit come from? Well, Pastor Mike, it may not mean that God sent the evil spirit, but he allowed him. Well, certainly God would allow an evil spirit. But notice what brought the evil spirit. The evil spirit came about as a result of Saul's disobedience. Not because of something God did. Saul's the one that disobeyed, and that's why God had to pick a a new king in his place. And that's what this story is all about. It's saying that the anointing left Saul and now is upon David, even though David has not been set in place as the king. He would be some 13 years later. But the anointing to be king left Saul, and as a result, that opened the door to the evil spirits. And this evil spirit troubled Saul, and you remember David was even instrumental in playing music for him to soothe him from this evil spirit, this oppression of this evil spirit. So you can't always go by the translation. But you find a lot of people that that's what they hang their hat on. Boy, if the King James says something like that, then that must be the way that it is. Well, the problem is that contradicts other scripture. And that's impossible. You can't have conflicting or contradicting scriptures. There has to be an answer. And usually the answer is in the translation. It's a mistranslation in some way or another. Still got your place over in John chapter 9? Look back with me over there. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered and said, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Now, if the translators saw fit to put punctuation in there, I'm going to put my own. And I'm going to put it in there not because of what I think, but because of what I believe the character and the nature of God is revealed by the Scriptures. They asked a question. Jesus answered the question. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Now, Jesus did not elaborate further. We can because of our knowledge of the word. Jesus could have stood there and said, it wasn't this man's sin. He couldn't sin in his mother's womb to be born blind. And it wasn't his parents' sin. This is not some judgment of God coming against them. Sin, sickness is in the earth because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. That's the answer. And the devil is an equal opportunity destroyer. Now, there are cases I don't mean to minimize this. There are cases where an individual sin will bring sickness or disease upon them. But to be perfectly honest with you, that's a rarity in comparison. It does happen. But it's a rarity in comparison to those that are attacked with sickness because sickness is in the earth due to Adam's sin. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore by one sin entered the world and death by sin. Through Adam's sin... Spiritual death, that opened the door to spiritual death and all the consequences thereof. Sickness is one of those consequences. So we know from the scripture that it was Adam's sin that caused this man to be born blind. So Jesus answers the question, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. Then he goes on to another point, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus talks about two things. He answers their questions. Neither is this man sin nor his parents, period, but I'm here to do the works of God. Now, the translation, the King James translation, makes it sound like Jesus is saying, it wasn't anybody's sin that caused this. God made this man sick, so I'd have somebody to heal. The problem is, is that that contradicts Acts 10.38. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That means everybody, all means everybody. Everybody Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil, not stricken by God. So one of these two scriptures, either if we accept the translation, the punctuation of the translation is accurate, then Acts 10.38 cannot be true. You decide which. I've already made my decision. Neither is this man's sin nor his parents, period. But that the works of him that sent me might be done, might be wrought, might be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, it's very easy to see what's what. And that is, all you have to do is look at the story and find out what work did Jesus do. Because Jesus said, I've come to do the works of him that sent me. So what work did Jesus do? Jesus healed this man. He spit on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and told him to wash off in the pool of Siloam. And the man came again seen. So the works of him that sent him were healing works, not works of sickness. Now let me ask you a question. Would Jesus not have been working contrary to the will of God if this man was sick because of the will of God? Would Jesus not have been undoing the works of God? Would not his works have been a destructive work to the plan of God for this man's life? Oh, no, Pastor Mike, see, he wanted him to be sick so Jesus would have somebody to heal, wanted him to be blind so Jesus would have somebody to heal because now it was God's will for Jesus to show that he was the Son of God. Then God's will changed. If that reasoning is accurate, then God's will changed. The problem with that is God says, I am God, I change not. So if the will of God changed because of this man, God wanted him to be blind, It was the will of God for him to be born blind so Jesus would have somebody to heal. And then Jesus healed him to undo the works of God because God's will changed. Then that means we've got another scripture we've got to tear out of the Bible too. We've got to tear out the the ones about God not changing. I'm pretty well satisfied that people that claim that God makes people sick to teach them something or to, to, to deepen their piety, whatever that's supposed to mean, or, or whatever other excuse they use, I've, I'm pretty well convinced that they don't think through what they're saying. They may really believe it, but I don't think they think through what they're saying. Because we're not adding anything or taking any way, anything away from the Bible. We're just thinking it through to its logical conclusion. Now, I know thinking is hard for a lot of Christians as evidenced by how seldom they do it. But we're just taking it through to its logical conclusion, aren't we? See, I believe every word in the Bible is inspired by God. I don't believe every every translated word is accurate. But I believe everything that God inspired by the Holy Ghost is accurate 100% and cannot be either contradicted and has to be true. And that's why this stuff means so much to me. That's why I cannot stand it. It it frosts me to no end to hear Christians talk about how God makes people sick. And typically, if they do, they'll go to one of two things. They'll either talk about Job or they'll talk about Paul's thorn. And neither one of them are accurate, either in the translation or the Christians under the, the average Christian's understanding. Well, what about Job? Tell me when Job lived, and I'll answer your question. 
Somebody tell me what Job, when Job lived. Now, here's the reason why that's important. Because if Job lived under Abraham's covenant, if he lived after Abraham, under Abraham's covenant, then we've got a matter of keeping the law involved. If he lived after Moses, we've got a matter of keeping the Ten Commandments. If he lived before Abraham, then what covenant was he operating under? Now, you ask most Bible scholars, what's the oldest book in the Bible? They'll tell you the book of Job. And the reason for that is there's so much stuff in the book of Job that we just don't know. But so many Christians have the idea that the devil has instant access to God's throne because of the book of Job. Folks, I would submit to you that the devil does not have access to God. Jesus here on the earth put him on the run. Why in the world would the devil, would anybody think that the devil has immediate access or free access to the throne room of God? When Jesus said, I beheld Satan cast his lightning from the, uh, from heaven to the earth, fall his lightning from heaven to the earth, lightning travels pretty fast, doesn't it? And when it hits the earth, it hits with a loud boom. If God threw Satan out of heaven, when he rebelled and took a third of the angels with him, who in the world is foolish enough to think that he can go back whenever he wants to? Yeah, but God let let Satan touch Job. Yeah, just like he'll let sickness touch you. God doesn't control that. We do. We're the ones that have authority to resist sickness, not God. And if you're okay with being sick, God will let you be sick. Not because that's what he wants. He sent Jesus to the earth to to purchase healing with his blood so that you and I not be sick. But that doesn't mean every Christian is going to accept that. That doesn't mean every Christian is going to walk in healing and health. Any more than every Christian, every, every person on the earth is going to get saved. Yet the Bible says it's the will of God for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, if it's the will of God for everybody, everybody to be saved, why isn't everybody saved? Because not everybody will choose to receive Jesus as the Lord. It's the choice of the individual, not God's choice. If it was up to God, everybody would get saved because that's who Jesus died for. But it's not up to God. It's up to mankind. In the same way, it's not up to God which Christians walk in health and which Christians uh, endure sickness because Jesus paid the same price. For healing that he paid for our sins. But it's up to man. It's up to our choice. It's our individual choice as to whether or not we're going to choose to accept the stripes of Jesus to pay the price for healing and walk in health. It's a matter of faith. Same thing with salvation. It's not a matter of God's will. God's will is already established by sending Jesus to the earth to pay the price. It's a matter of our will and our choice to believe. Amen. So somebody tell me when Job lived. Somebody tell me what covenant Job was operating under and what the the conditions and the terms of that covenant were. And we can explain the book of Job in a heartbeat. Problem is nobody can answer that. Nobody knows. What if Job was living before Abraham? What covenant was he operating under? There was no covenant before Abraham. Was he living before Noah? Noah had a covenant with God, but that covenant didn't extend to healing and sickness and so forth. That covenant extended to, I won't destroy the earth again, and here's a rainbow to prove it. What covenant did he operate under? 
See, nobody can answer that. And the fact that nobody can answer that tells me that Job should be the last book in the Bible we try to build a doctrine off of. It's an interesting story, and it makes me consider the wonders of God and, and how big he is and how magnificent he is. And it shows us that, that man operating under the will of God ultimately has authority over the devil. But beyond that, what can you get from the book? Man, there's creatures in there described in the book of Job that we don't even know about. Well, when were those things here on the earth? It's very possible, folks, that Job was one of the early inhabitants of the earth immediately following the fall. It's possible. It's also possible that the story of Job, the significance of the story of Job was Satan finding out how far his authority went on the earth now that he's tricked Adam and Eve into becoming his servants. How would Satan find out what the limits of spiritual death are? We've got a few minutes here tonight. Let's just speculate. Adam and Eve are in in the Garden of Eden. Satan deceives Eve. Adam goes along with it and they fall. The glory of God that surrounds them goes out. They realize that they're naked and ashamed. Now Satan is the God of this world. Now the authority of the earth, the dominion that God gave to Adam and Eve, now that dominion belongs to Satan. Satan said when he was talking to Jesus and tempting Jesus, he said, that authority has been given unto me. Well, when? When Adam and Eve transferred it over to him. How did Satan find out how far his authority went from that point forward? Did God have a meeting with him and say, okay, well, you messed up my plan, so now let me tell you how you can work against my creation. Anybody really think that's what happened? How would he know? This is a different situation. It's a different creation. When the angels looked at God's plan to create man, they said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You've made him a little lower than yourself, a little lower than the Godhead, Elohim, and you've given him dominion over all the works of your hands. That's different than anything that existed on the earth before. It's different than anything that Satan had destroyed to cause the earth to be without form and void before the earth was recreated and Adam and Eve placed in the middle of it. So how would Satan know? Whatever authority Lucifer had on the earth, and he did have authority, he was the, the most beautiful of God's creatures, he did have a throne because he said, I will exalt my throne above the heavens. So he had to have a throne here on the earth of some type, or else he wouldn't have said, I will exalt my throne. He had one, right? But that throne had a limitation. The reason we know it had a limitation is because he was tempted with spiritual pride. He literally initiated spiritual pride originated spiritual pride by saying, I will be like God. So whatever his throne was had limitations. Whatever his throne and authority that carried, that went with that throne was limited and much less than God's authority on the earth as the creator, the original creator. So how would he find out what his new authority is as God of this earth, God of this world? Must have been trial and error. In my personal opinion, that's a lot of what the book of Job is about. In the early early chapters of the book of Job, it talks about Satan wanting to bring accusation against Job. And God simply says, you can't touch his life. It's God saying you don't have authority over his life. You've got authority over his earthly goods, but not over his life. I think that's far, at least it's possible. I'm not going to say I'm sold on it 100%, but I'm leaning to about 99 plus. 
I believe that's where Satan found out what his authority, what his authority really was as the God of this world and how far it went. I'd like somebody to give me a better explanation because I've studied them all and there ain't one. Except for the Christians that say God uses Satan to make people sick. Give me a personal break. And then they go to Paul's thorn. Paul was sick with some terrible eye disease. The Bible doesn't say that. Yeah, he did, Pastor Mike. He said that Paul said himself, see what a large letter I've written to you. Yeah, that was the book of Galatians that he said that. Six chapters. Six chapters. What large letter? What does it mean? Oh, it means he had to write in great, big old tall letters because of his eye disease. Can I ask you a question? Is Paul really stupid to use that much parchment to write big tall letters when he's got a company of people with him that write other letters for him? It's amazing to me the stupidity that some Christians use as a basis for their belief. Many, if not most Bible scholars agree that the book of Galatians was attached to the book of Hebrews and that makes it a long letter. And that's what he was talking about. Yeah, but Paul said to the Galatians that they would have been willing to pluck their eyes out and give them to him if they could have helped him. Yep. He said, you remember how I preached to you through infirmity of the flesh at the first. He didn't say, you know what my infirmity of the flesh is. He said, you remember how I preached through infirmity of the flesh the first time I came to you. You go back and look at Acts chapter 14, you'll find out the first time Paul was there, he got stoned. Left for dead and God raised him from the dead. Well, what does somebody look like when they've been stoned and left for dead? Even if God raises them up, what are they going to look like? It doesn't say that God raised him up and healed him from his bruises and his marks. It just says God raised him from the dead. As a matter of fact, if you're thinking about God making a statement, it would make a greater statement for Paul to go back to the cities where the stoners came from and look stoned, look like he's been left for dead, but walk around. And say the power of God raised me up. Yet that's what Christians base their belief on. Paul said himself that the thorn in the flesh was persecution. He said it was the thorn of Satan to buffet me. And even that he said it was the thorn of Satan. Not the, uh, the messenger of Satan. Not the messenger of God. So how can we say that this thing was of God? Well, but Pastor Mike, Jesus answered him three times and said, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, he said, I've got, I'm strong enough in you to get you through this trouble. Is that anything different than what God tells you and me? Doesn't have anything to do with physical sickness. Not a thing in the world. Back to Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. In Jesus' day, God was the healer and Satan was the oppressor. Now, in the modern-day church, they've turned it around. God's the one making people sick. How's that possible? When Jesus was here on the earth, he was the healer because God anointed him. But now, it's the will of God to make people sick. Again, we're going to have to tear out a scripture in the Bible. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if that scripture is true, that means if Jesus was the healer when he was here on the earth, he's the healer today. 
and he'll be the healer forever. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. Who went about doing good and healing. Who did he heal? All that were oppressed of the devil. All that were oppressed of the devil. I remember a story. We'll close with this. I remember hearing a story. didn't know this person individually. But I remember hearing a story about a person that was in the ministry. And they were doing a good work for God, pastoring a church. And, and the church was successful. A small town, small church, but still very successful. Raised up a number of people and uh, uh, they wound up going into the ministry. This this pastor just did an outstanding job with the people that God gave him. And after after pastoring for, oh, I don't know, I'm going to guess 25, maybe almost 30 years. Sickness came upon him. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. He had laid hands on the sick. He had taught healing in his church. His people were, were well-versed in healing. But he did everything he knew to do, and he couldn't get his healing. And he couldn't figure out why. Folks, the devil always tries to live in the whys. And he couldn't, he couldn't get any relief. He couldn't get any results. It wasn't a life-threatening situation, but it was something that everybody knew about. And he couldn't get any results, couldn't get any healing results. Even though people were praying for him, the church was standing in agreement with him. People would come up to him all the time and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Other minister friends would say, Brother, we're praying for you. We're in agreement with you for your healing. But month after month after month went by. A couple of years went by and he didn't get any results. And finally, just out of frustration, out of discouragement, I guess, he started entertaining the thought one day, well, maybe this is God trying to teach me something. Maybe this isn't an ordinary case of sickness that the devil's behind. Maybe there's a reason for this. He started examining his life, seeing if there was any sin in his life. He scoured through, you know, his everything that he was doing. Couldn't find anything wrong there. He thought, well, if this is because of my own sin, then I'm not getting results. Then I can fix that and, and, and get uh, get my healing. But somewhere along the way, Again, through discouragement, he began to entertain the thought that maybe the reason I'm not getting my healing is because God wants me to be like this. Well, just that germ of, of a thought, that germ of an idea, seed of an idea, began to take root in him. And so now instead of believing God for his healing like he has been for the last several years, now he's just started to accept it and he's praying Still in fellowship with God, praying, now, Lord, teach me whatever I need to know from this. Because if this is you, that shows he didn't know. If this is you, there's a purpose behind it. I don't expect you to, to teach me and show me. Holy Spirit, thank you for showing me what God wants me to see out of this. Well, this went for, on for another year or two. Now it's been a situation, created, become a situation where he's just accepted this is going to be this way for the rest of his life. And finally, one day. Finally, one day, he said, now, Lord, I'm so tired of this. I'm so frustrated. I'm almost ready to ask you to let me come home. But I'm going to pray one last prayer. Show me what I need to see in this situation. Well, later that night, Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus put his finger in his face and said, how dare you accuse me of doing this? He spent about 45 minutes in his bedroom. Jesus, he said the, the pastor's testimony was raking me over the coals. 
How dare you for all those things that I've ever done? For the, the, the went through scripture after scripture about the goodness of God and the mercy of God, about sickness being always from the devil and healing being from God and being good and the God's mercy and so forth. It's been about 45 minutes. And at the end of it, Jesus said, it's your choice what you will believe and what you will receive. And disappeared. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would have preferred Jesus to say, now I'm here to show you that I am good, be healed. But that's not the way it went. This guy, after 45 minutes of being raked over the coals by the Lord through the Scripture, got up out of his bed, knelt down beside his bed and said, Oh, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry for ever accusing you. I see now that sickness is of the devil. It's always of the devil. It's never from you. Forgive me for entertaining the thought. And from that point forward, he began to go after sickness and disease in his town like nobody you've ever seen. In a matter of a couple of weeks, he'd received his healing, and he'd gotten a lot of people healed in his city too. Folks, we've talked about this before, but the devil always uses time as your enemy. Time is not your enemy. Time is neutral. You're going to use the same amount of time for something good or something bad. Time is always the same. So if you're looking at your situation like things have been delayed, things have taken a long time, that's just more time for you to worship God. Amen? How God anointed Jesus and Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that we can know with certainty The sickness in every form, in every manner, is always from the devil. It's never from you. There's never been a person and never will be a person that you desire to be anything less than walking in perfect and divine health, the healing and health that Jesus paid for with his own precious blood. We thank you, Father, that because your word says that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus, we claim that healing. No matter what the situation is, no matter how long we've been in the condition that we're in, we worship you, Father, and we thank you that your word is true. Our confession is the word of God is always true, no matter what happens. So we thank you, Father, that we're redeemed from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being with us.